Good morning. This morning I want you to take your Bibles or your apps and we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Now I'm going to put a, a graphic on the screen if you're not sure how to locate Revelation. It's actually one of the easiest books to locate. It's the last book in the Bible. Uh, so you can locate it there. Just turn to the back and you're going to end up hitting it. Uh, or if you have the Bible app downloaded on your device, we're in the Bible app and uh, all of the passages and notes that uh, we'll be having from today's message are already there. And so there are instructions on the screen behind me that help you find how to locate us in the Bible app. Now before I dive into today's message, obviously today is a pretty monumental day. We have combined and we're following a brand new Sunday morning schedule. Um, in light of that, since I'm not going to preach in a second service, I'm going to be offering a brand new Sunday school class, a brand new uh, Bible study time. It will be in this room starting at 11, and we're going to kind of go through systematic theology, basically what we believe about the different aspects of our faith. Today we're going to be talking about what does the Bible teach about God? And we're going to dig deep into what God's Word says about who God is. Uh, but also, it's going to be discussion-based, and uh, it will offer the opportunity. It's kind of a unique situation. Uh, you'll get to ask questions about the sermon. And so, if you come out of today's message and you're like, okay, I got totally lost on this part, or I would really like for you to unpack this idea more, um, I would love for you to join me for a Bible study in this room. If you're not connected to a Bible study or a life group, I encourage you to find one, and we would love to help you find one. If you would like to get connected to one and mine's not a good fit for you, I want you to go out to the next steps table after the service and they would love to kind of unpack what life groups and Sunday school classes uh, we have available, what community groups we have available, and we would love to help you find a group that fits you perfectly. So please prayerfully consider uh, what group you'd like to get involved with this week. We believe that connecting to a group is one of the best ways to grow in Christ because you're studying God's Word outside of the service and you're living life together. Um, and we want you to be connected to a group of believers in that way. So Revelation chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. Now, there's a, a pastor and theologian named Francis Chan, and he came out a book, with a book recently. This book talks about uh, how we need to remain focused on Jesus and the mission that is unique to the followers of Jesus. And in the book, he describes a trip that he took to China. Now, if you know anything about China and Christianity, it is not a good situation, uh, they, the, the Chinese government has outlawed Christianity except for the form of Christianity that they've approved, which is not actual Christianity. It's a form, it's a, it's, they've taken Christianity, modified it so that it supports Chinese government values. And so if you want to have a true Christian church, it has to be underground and it has to be hidden. And persecution is actively happening in China. There are pastors who are regularly uh, arrested and are never seen again in the nation of China. Uh, just a few years ago, they forcefully removed all foreign missionaries from China. 
Uh, and it's been a big uh, heartbreak for the International Mission Board through our denomination because we had dozens of missionaries in China and they were forced to leave because of these new laws and the persecution that the Chinese government has placed on Christianity. So Francis Chan uh, tells of a trip that he took to China uh, as this is all kind of playing out, this persecution is happening, and he, he tours with these pastors and visits many churches, and at one point he was having a, a prayer vigil with many, many pastors from a, a region he was visiting, and as they're getting ready to get started with this prayer vigil, he says, well, well gentlemen, I'm going to pray that, that persecution would go away in China. And every pastor in the room said, no, do not ever pray for persecution to leave our country. They said, we don't want the form of Christianity you have in America where it's comfortable and it's relaxed and people don't share their faith. They said, because persecution makes the church thrive. Persecution pushes the church to grow. And I thought about that because I've never really given that consideration. And so I did a little looking into church history. And if you examine church history, even current church dynamics, you'll find that every country where Christianity is persecuted, those are the countries where the church grows the fastest. And the places, the countries where Christianity is sanctioned by the government and approved and sponsored by the government, those are the countries where Christianity dwindles and becomes very ineffective. And many of you in this room are really struggling with the statement I just made. I would encourage you, go read church history, go look into when the church grew the most and where the church is currently growing. Did you know the church right now is growing more in China and Iran than in almost any other countries on the planet. Now, do you think it's easy to be a Christian in China or Iran? Do you really believe that there are countries that have less persecution than Christians face in China or Iran? And yet the church grows more in those countries than in countries where Christianity is supported or sanctioned or tolerated. Today's passage unpacks this a little bit. We're, we're in Revelation. We've looked at chapter 1, which is all about glorifying Jesus and calling out that He is sovereign, that He's in control of everything. And then when we, last week, Pastor Daniel led us into the very first of the seven letters, what are called the seven letters to the churches, that is found in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And he began with the letter to the church to Ephesus. And now I want to put that graphic on the screen of the map of the seven churches and where they're located. Tyrone, can you throw that map up on the screen behind me? Because I want you to get a picture uh, of where these churches were located and what was taking place. Um, what was going on and, and who he was um, uh, um, writing to. We don't have that map? Okay, never mind. Oh, it's not working. Okay, we may have to reboot the system. So don't worry, our tech team is on it. 
Now let me tell you right now, I'll give you a mental picture if you haven't seen uh, the map that we've put up over the last few weeks. Uh, the seven churches that Jesus is addressing, that John writes letters to, uh, are found in what is modern day Turkey. The first one being Ephesus, which was a port city right across uh, the waters from the island of Patmos where John was, was exiled. And so uh, the next city up, if you go north and a little bit to the east, you'll find the city of Smyrna. Now, not a, a name that we would name towns today, but Smyrna is the next one up. Smyrna was another great port city. It had a huge population in that day and age, about 100,000 people. Um, and many uh, goods went in and out that city because there was a highway that went from Smyrna and then traveled around and went into East Asia and, and went further east. And, and so a lot of goods would come and go through the port of Smyrna. It was a very active city. They also had many temples in Smyrna. As a matter of fact, Smyrna is considered to be one of the cities that had the largest, what we call, emperor worship in that part of the world. They had one of the first temples to the goddess Roma, who was the god of Rome. That's where the name Rome comes from. And so the goddess Roma had a temple in Smyrna, and then the temple was later converted into a temple to Caesar Augustus. Thank you, guys. So number two on that map is Smyrna. So they had this huge place of emperor worship, and people could go, and they would actually, these cities would, would battle. They would pay the government to be the city that had the emperor's temple in it. And Smyrna won the second temple to the emperor from the Roman government. So Smyrna is a major city in the Roman Empire. But here's a cool thing. We also know that Smyrna had a massive Jewish population. Uh, there is actually one of the largest uh, non-Israel Jewish graveyards found in the ruins of Smyrna. And there are all of these inscriptions about the Jewish population and the synagogues in this city. Multiple historical references to the large Jewish community that was found in this particular city. And so, I need to kind of unpack for you how Jews and the emperor worship worked. So, a few weeks ago, I talked about how in that day and age, if you lived in this area, you had to worship the local deity and the emperor. Because here's what would happen. They had what were called these guilds. Uh, so, so if you were a tradesman of any kind of trade, you would belong to a guild. And this was like the better business bureau of its day and age. So you would belong, if you, if you were a, a seamstress, you would belong to the seamstress guild. And as long as you were in good standing with the guild, then you would get recommended and people would bring business to you. But if you were not recommended by the guild, no one would bring you business. It was a big deal. But here's the hard part. The guild, each guild would regularly get all of their guild members together and go and sacrifice at the emperor's temple and then take the sacrifice that had been given and go and cook it at a location nearby and eat it together. Which if you know your Bible was strictly forbidden for Christians or Jewish people. So in 70 AD, 
the Roman government comes in to Jerusalem and they destroy the whole city. They level the temple and the Jewish people are scattered. Now the Jews were unique in that day and age. They were one of the only people groups in the entire part of the world right there that only worshiped one God. Every other culture in that day and age worshiped multiple gods and had no problem worshiping the emperor and their patron God and this God and the God over here. They had no problem with that, but the Jewish people did. And so a Roman emperor came along and said, okay, I get it. I don't want there to be any more conflict between my government and the Jewish people. So if you're a Jew, you can register with my government. And as long as you're registered, you don't have to take part in worshiping the local God or the emperor. And they gave them papers by which they were excused and this kept them in good standing with the trade guilds so that their businesses could continue to thrive. Are you with me so far? You have to be part of a trade guild in order for your business to keep going. But in order to be part of a trade guild, you had to go sacrifice at the temple. So the Jews were given an exception by the government to not have to sacrifice at the temple and still be part of the trade guild. And so Christians, many Christians, were formerly Jews or came from a Jewish background. And so they would use this exception given by the government to not have to go and sacrifice at the temple so that they could still honor their Christian beliefs. And today we're going to read from Jesus through John about the persecution that some of these people are enduring. So I want you to take your Bibles and look with me at Revelation chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 8. Revelation chapter 2 beginning in verse 8. We'll read through verse 11. It says this, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write this, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what, they are about to, what you are about to suffer. The devil is about to throw some of you in prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So, this is a difficult letter for us to read. But let me give you a little background on the seven letters. Daniel spoke about it last week. But all seven letters have the same elements, the same components. They all contain a title of Jesus that's pulled from chapter 1. So in today's passage in the letter to Smyrna, it's the title of Christ is the first and the last, the one who died and came to life. If you go back to Revelation 1, Jesus describes himself with that title. And so the first component in every letter is a title of Christ. The second component is Christ talking about the strengths of the church. The third component is Christ talking about the weaknesses or the complaints he has about that church. Then there's a call for that church to repent of those weaknesses. 
And then there's a consequence of either the good or the bad. If you'll do this, this good thing will happen. If you don't do this, this bad thing will happen, right? Are you with me so far? Now, every letter has some kind of element of that structure, but ever so often in these seven letters, Jesus will exclude one of those components to point out something specific about that church. Smyrna is one of those. So there are two very healthy churches of these seven, and Smyrna is one of them. And you know why we know that? Because Smyrna has no weakness given by Christ. So in every other letter except for Smyrna and one other, there's a weakness. There's you, this I have against you is what he keeps saying. But he never says that to Smyrna. He never says, I have this against you to the church of Smyrna. Because church, the church in Smyrna was one of the few very healthy churches. Now, Smyrna's got this uh, uh, this, this healthiness to it. Let's, let's look at what we see with the church of Smyrna. Verse 8, I've already alluded to it. We give, uh, or Jesus gives his title. He's the first and the last who died and came to life. Now, we've talked a lot about this in our prayer time today, in the songs that we have sung in worship to God. But please hear me clearly. Also with the title from last week's letter to Ephesus, there is a continual theme through these letters that Christ is sovereign. Now, what does sovereign mean? Sovereign means that he is completely in control and independent of anyone's oversight. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the first and the last. No one came before him and no one will come after him. He is the first and the last. And on today's title, he's the one who died and has come to life. No one else can make that claim. So please remember when Smyrna, when the church in Smyrna was hearing this letter, the first thing they're hearing is, I am the first and the last. I'm the one who died and came back to life for your sake. I have everything in control. That's what these people are hearing in their minds. So keep that in, in your mind because that's very important for what else is said. Look with me in verse 9. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. Isn't that an interesting statement? He's talking about their strengths here. I know the tribulation. I know the poverty, yet you're rich. It's interesting, this word here for tribulation is unique in the language that John wrote this letter in. The, the word for tribulation is a word that indicates community tribulation, not individual tribulation. In other words, he's saying, I know the tribulation that you as a church are enduring. And so he's talking about the suffering that they're going through, and then he alludes to their poverty. Now go back to the idea of what I was talking about, about the trade guilds and what would happen if you weren't part of a trade guild and what you had to do to remain in the good eyes of a trade guild. You had to go sacrifice or you had to be able to claim that you were a Jewish person and had the exemption, right? 
I want you to throw up, Tyrone, there's a coin, a picture of two coins, uh, two sets of coins now. This is uh, the coin of uh, the Emperor Vespasian. And Vespasian is the emperor that led the invasion of Israel in 70 AD and destroyed the city. So he's hated by the Jews. And I know it's kind of hard to see on the screen, but on the right-hand side, so this is two sides of two of the same coins, you've got the head of Vespasian on the left, and on the right, he has a relief, a picture on the back of the coin declaring his conquering of Judea, what, was, what we call Israel. They called it Judea. And so if you look closely at the top golden coin, you can see in Greek letters that word at the bottom is Judea, Judea, Israel. And the image there is that there's a tree that Judea is, is a person and their hands have been tied behind their back in conquest. So Vespasian had an entire set of coins made just to depict his destruction of Israel. He was very proud of it. The Israelites, of course, hated this. And so they had this exception. Vespasian was the one, was the emperor, who gave them the exception that they didn't have to worship the emperors. Even though he had destroyed them and scattered all, them all over his empire, he gave them this exception. So now think back to the strength that Christ says this church has. He knows their tribulation and their poverty. Why are they poor? Because the church in Smyrna was one of the few churches that refused to do, make exceptions or compromise their beliefs by going and worshiping and sacrificing at the temple. They would not compromise. But keep reading with me. We're in the middle of verse 8. It says, In the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. So when you go back and read the historical records of what was taking place here, the Jewish people who had not converted to Christianity were turning the Christians in. They were going to the government and saying, Hey, Joe Schmo over here, he's been using the Jewish exception, but he's not a Jew. He doesn't belong to us. And so Joe Schmo would get arrested, get kicked out of his trade guild, and his business would fall apart, and he would be left in poverty, he and his family. And we know from historical records that this was happening all over the city of Smyrna, very regularly. The people's entire lives were being destroyed because of their faith in Christ. That's why Christ says here, I know your poverty. But he also says that they're rich. They're poor financially and physically, but they're rich in their faith because they would not compromise their belief in Jesus. So, Jesus says that he recognizes the difficulties that they're having, the tribulations, the persecutions that they're enduring. But if you look here, you'll notice that Jesus gives the strengths in verses 8 and 9, but he never has a complaint or a weakness about the church. I mentioned this earlier. 
This is one of only two of the seven churches that Christ does not have some kind of complaint about their weakness. Because it was the church in Smyrna that was not compromising. They were staying true to their faith and they were following Jesus even if it meant risking their own lives. So there's no weakness. This means that they are a, they are a healthy church. That, this means that they were enduring great persecution and remaining strong in their faith despite the persecution that they were enduring. And that leads me to today's main point, my big idea. If you're someone who's listened to me before, you know that I'm not someone who's going to give you three points or five points and expect you to remember. I want you to remember one thing. I want you to walk away today remembering one statement that's simple, that's easy to walk away with, and I want you to weigh it against Scripture and make sure that it's true. And today's main point, today's big idea is this, persecution promotes proclamation. I alluded to it before, historically and even currently, the areas where the church is growing the fastest and people are coming to know the Lord the most are in areas where the persecution is the greatest. Every first world country that has backed Christianity sees, is currently seeing the church in decline. United States, Britain, most of Europe, the church is declined, declining in almost all those areas. But places where persecution is, is against the church... Those are the places where the church is growing and people are coming to know Christ. There's a lot, I mentioned there's a lot written in church history about this particular church in Smyrna. As a matter of fact, the church in Smyrna has one of the first martyrs that we have historically past the apostles. Uh, there's a guy named Polycarp. Moms, if you're looking for a name for your child, Polycarp. It's a great name, rolls off the tongue. Strong name. Polycarp was the bishop of Smyrna. Now, that means he was basically the head of the church. He was the main pastor, the main elder of the church in Smyrna. And Polycarp was executed by the Roman government shortly after this letter was written. Probably about 10, 15, 20 years after John's letter went out to the churches, Polycarp is executed and the charge against him was atheism, which was illegal in that day and age, because he would not worship the deity of the city of Smyrna or the emperor in Smyrna. So, the church continued to grow, though, because the historical records tell us that after Polycarp's death, the church expanded. It didn't shrink. It grew. The persecution in that city caused the Christians to be more true to their faith and push harder to lead others to Jesus. And let's be honest for a second. If that's the persecution that you have to endure if you come to know Christ, then you're going to be pretty serious about your faith, aren't you? Because if you know Christ, if you come to know Christ as your Savior and you do that knowing that you're putting everything on the line, your faith's pretty serious. So persecution promotes proclamation. So let's keep 
looking here for a second. Look with me in verse 10. I mentioned that there's, Christ tells him that here's where you're strong, but he doesn't have a complaint. Look at what else, what he says next. He goes to the encouragement, which is unique here. He says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Don't fear. You're going to suffer. There's not not an if you suffer. He says, don't fear what you are about to, what you, I'm guaranteeing it's coming. Don't fear it. Continuing on, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. He guarantees them the crown of life if they endure their tribulation, their suffering, their persecution. Even if it leads to death, they will receive the crown of life. They will not be hurt by the second death. He's encouraging them. He's saying, I see your faithfulness. I know what you're going through. Don't fear it, but know that I'm with you and there is a great reward if you will simply endure. So here's my question. If persecution promotes proclamation, where are we? Where are you? Where are we as a church in embracing persecution? Now, please hear me. I'm not saying that we're supposed to be going out and trying to find persecution. Jesus said the persecution will come to us if we're truly his followers. But I would argue that there may be some of us that work pretty hard to avoid persecution. Maybe even the most minor discomforts that may come in being a follower of Jesus. Many of us flee from those things. And I know this is not easy to hear. I get it. But persecution promotes proclamation. And let me, I'm going to give you a bunch of Bible verses right now. Because the Bible repeatedly talks about persecution, the persecution we will endure. It repeatedly talks about it, guarantees it, and says that we must endure through it. So let me, let me just give you some. They're going to be up on the screen. If you're a note taker, just write the reference because I'm going to go through these quickly. But listen to the words of these passages. 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not maybe, not possibly, will. Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12. This is in the Beatitudes. Jesus speaking, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they also persecuted the prophets who were before you. Also Jesus speaking, Luke 6, verse 22. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and they revile you and they spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. John 15, verses 18 through 20. Again, this is Jesus speaking. 
If the world hates you, know that it has hated you before it, ha it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they, if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Then Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 14, says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the Spirit of God and of God rests upon you. 2 Corinthians 12, 10, this is Paul speaking through, or Jesus speaking through Paul. He says, for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There's always hope. There's always redemption. But please hear me, there's also purpose in our persecution. When the world pushes against us, when the world wants to try and hurt us or destroy us or insult us or revile us, the purpose is that we can show the light of Christ in the midst of it and people will come to know him because they see the light of Jesus in the midst of our tribulation. There's always hope. Persecution will come. Jesus guarantees it. There's going to come a time when if I stand up here and speak the truth from this stage publicly, I will be arrested and fined by the government. That day is coming. I think it will come in my lifetime. Our government, our society, our culture is not turning more to Christ. Our government and culture is going further away from Christ. And the cultures who have done this before us are now arresting pastors and Christians for speaking truth, even in boldness and love, even in gentleness and respect. If we speak the truth, if we proclaim our belief in Christ, there's coming a time soon when that will be an arrest warrant. It will be a fine. It's coming. I don't know when, but guys, it's happened all throughout history. It happened to the apostles. In Acts chapter 5, some of the apostles get arrested and they're flogged, they're beaten, they're told to not talk about Jesus anymore. And they're like, sorry, I'm not going to fear you. I'm going to fear God. And God tells me to tell people about Jesus. So sorry, guys, I'll take the persecution because I'm not going to be quiet about Jesus. And it says in, Math, in Acts 5 verse 41 that they left the flogging, being beaten, and they rejoiced because they found that they were worthy of the same type of persecution Jesus endured. They didn't lament it. They didn't fight against it. They rejoiced in it. 
Here's my closing thoughts and questions. Persecution's guaranteed. But persecution promotes proclamation. We, are, we have a beautiful opportunity to tell people about Jesus when the tribulations in our life come. Whether it be an ailment, whether it be government persecution or societal persecution, whether it be a difficult time that's going on in our lives, when we go through difficult times, we have an opportunity to show people the light of Christ. If it's coming, will you avoid at all costs, or will you embrace the persecution that may be coming? Will you turn away from your faith if persecution comes? And here's the harder part. If persecution is threatened or actual, actually comes into your life, will you stop living out the fruit of the Spirit because you're being persecuted? Because that's really what I'm most concerned about when persecution comes to Americans is that as persecution comes, instead of showing others love and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control, instead of showing them that, we'll show them anger. We'll show them backlash. We'll show them violence. That's not the way of the follower of Jesus. It certainly wasn't the way of the followers of Jesus in Smyrna who paid the ultimate price for their faith in Jesus. Their livelihoods were taken. Their wealth was gone. Some of them lost their lives. And according to what's written here and what we know historically, we know for a fact that the people of the church in Smyrna rejoiced in their persecution. We need to be aware of it. Suffering is going to come. But please hear me, we have the hope of Jesus. He's already conquered the ways of this world, the powers of this world. And he gives us hope and redemption and gives us the strength that we need to endure that persecution. So when it comes, what will be your response? Maybe you're here and you're thinking, that sounds tough. But this hope and light of Jesus sounds really good. If you want to know more about Jesus, please hear me. We're here for you. Uh, I'm going to ask one of our elders, Alan, to come up during the response time. Uh, we're going to sing a closing song of response. If you want to come up and pray, if you've got questions about Jesus, come up. Ask Alan. If you want to come talk to me, I'll be out in the foyer. Or you can come by the Next Steps table and ask about what it looks like to follow Jesus. Or, or say, I've got questions about Jesus. But reach out to us. Come forward if you would like to during the response time. If you've got questions about persecution that you're not sure about, I wouldn't say skip your Sunday school, but you're welcome to join me at 11 o'clock here in 15 minutes right here in this little section right here. I'd be glad to unpack this some more. We join me in a word of prayer. Almighty God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this letter to the church in Smyrna. And despite the difficult news that this letter delivers, we also thank you that it gives us hope. We thank you that you guarantee that if we will endure, that you will give us the crown of life. Lord, we pray 
that you would help us to proclaim in the midst of our persecution. That instead of fighting or getting angry or violent, that instead we would show love, peace, kindness, patience, goodness. We would remain faithful, self-controlled, gentle. Lord, help us to live like Christ lived in the midst of His persecution so that others can know Jesus. We thank you, Lord. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.